Welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Education. My name is Pete Wright, and today brings us a new conversation with one of our favorite return guests. Ruth Johnston serves as Vice Chancellor for Planning and Administration at University of Washington, Bothell, and is a leader in organizational excellence in higher education. What's more, she's third vice president on the Wakubo Board of Directors, helping the organization bring a vibrant curriculum to business officers in the excellence space. She joins Howard this week for a conversation on both these topics and gives us a preview of things to come at the Wakubo Annual Conference in Vancouver coming next month, May 5th through 8th, 2019. Check out the links in the show notes for more information or visit www.wakubo.org to learn more. Thank you, Pete. Well, good morning, Ruth. Good morning, Howard. Last time you were on the show, do you know when it was? Two years ago. Very good. April 11th, 2016, almost exactly two years ago, right before the last Wakubo Annual Conference. And guess what we were speaking on? Organizational excellence. Are you surprised? Not surprised at all. Our first podcast was five years ago. Oh, wow. Talking about, guess what? Organizational excellence. You're good. You're right there with me. We, we're dancing. Uh, I definitely think there's a theme here. I was reflecting on you're currently on the board of directors and serve as the second vice president and program chair. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about this year's Wakubo annual meeting, which I will be joining you on? Yes, I'm very excited, of course, as program chair, um, because I've had a role with it from the very beginning. Uh, we've taken a little different tact, I think, um, as we've come up with the program. And the program committee, of course, is other um, chief business officers and professionals in higher ed. And what we did was really think about what are the uh, current issues in higher education, even broader than the business officer world or the administrative world. So um, just to give a, a peek um, for the keynote and general speakers, the keynote speaker is Susan Kane, wrote The Power of Quiet. And I'm particularly excited about that because I know a lot of business officers tend to be more introverted. And there's a real value of introverts in the workplace, but also the, um, the impact introverts can have when they perhaps are a little bit more reflective or not quite as willing to step in. So that's the keynote. I'm very excited because I get to talk to her in advance. Uh, I'll prepare her. Uh, but what we also have is in the afternoon, um, a free speech panel, a big issue in higher education right now. And some might say that that doesn't affect the business officers. And I said, I believe very strongly that it affects all of us. Uh, my example in particular is I'm responsible for campus safety. And we have a lot of people who come onto our campus and may say some things that either offend uh, one group or another group, and people want us to do something about it. And it's just not appropriate to do anything about it. We have to help people get educated about what it, what free speech is. So I'm really excited about that particular panel in the afternoon. And then in um, on the next day, um, our general session speaker is Bob Bergino, who is a former uh, chancellor for UC Berkeley, and he's been working on the Lincoln Project, which is about access to higher ed. Again, you may say that that isn't necessarily a business officer thing, but it, it totally is. You've got record attendance. Uh, it's such a great example of, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, it's not just the speakers, it's the place where people can come together and, you know, we call it networking, but I'll tell you, right now, what we need more than anything else is rejuvenation. Well, there's so many pressures to bear, whether it be budget or enrollment or space 
or free speech issues. In our case, uh, we're not reducing enrollment, but we're paused in enrollment. And that's equally difficult because there's no new money coming in. You know, there's so much pressure, um, appropriate pressure to keep tuition low. At the same time, we have to keep our best people. So while tuition is barely going up, we still have to give raises. And uh, all of a sudden the lines cross and there's a gap there. We're paying more than we're bringing in. Um, And then we've got all kinds of capital issues. We've got uh, free speech issues. In our case uh, at UW, uh, University of Washington Bothell, we share a campus with Cascadia College, which is formerly known as a community college. So we have everything in tandem and that further complicates everything. So I think everybody is exhausted. And then what's happening with politics, of course, um, you want to be a university for everybody. Uh, but universities tend to be more liberal, and we have to be very, very careful to be open to all and to all opinions. Let's talk a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of the shift around the relationship between the chief academic and chief business officer and the the real work that has to happen there to produce this change. Because the provosts are not going to, in the absence of working with their academic or administrative counterparts, they're not going to be able to both communicate and build a case for why we have to change and vice versa. The, the administrative cannot do it without the academic side. And this has been a barrier for as long as I've been in this work. This is not just a hot topic. This is something that people are really putting work into. So this is something I feel really strongly about. And fortunately, having been at Bothell now for um, finishing three years, uh, we had one person who was the vice chancellor for academic affairs. She's gone on to Portland State and interim. And now we're about to announce who the permanent person is going to be. And what I've learned uh, through this period of time, and of course, I was at the UW uh, Central Campus for 39 years in central administration. So I knew all the players very well. Um, And I think that uh, UW in general has tried very, very hard to have uh, good open communications. Um, But what I think doesn't happen all the time is that people who are the right people are in the room together talking about all the key issues. And so you might say that enrollment is only on the side of the provost or the budget is only on the side of the chief business officer, or in fact, those things are totally linked to each other. So what I um, am trying to do, and last summer at the experience talking at AALI, I was talking about the need for showing up together, talking together, working together, being in each other's meetings. And it's so critical because we have to understand the, the broader picture. We are not just figuring out how to work with each other, but we actually have a shared set of concerns and we support each other. And that is very different from what, what, what is normally happens. It's like, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in my lane. And when I need you, I'll reach out and vice versa. Right. So uh, I'm, my biggest goal is to have the best relationship possible with my counterpart and also my budget team. Um, and a lot of times budget teams are seen as, you know, just the no, no, no groups. Um, the budget team is not in a position to make decisions. The budget teams are in the position to be decision support. And 
while our uh, team has expertise that doesn't necessarily exist in the schools or the units, uh, we can provide that analytical ability and the tools. But in the end, they have to be the ones to decide how best to manage their budgets in a way that is self-sustaining. And so there's a lot of learning going on, a lot of trust building. Uh, I think my budget team, uh, the number one thing they have to do is build relationships. And then secondarily almost, uh, they, they have to have the skills to start with, but the soft skills are critical. Well, it's interesting you talk about uh, building relationship. When someone in that role started in the job and they looked at the job description, that wasn't at the top of the list. It's, it's not about the work. The mechanics, which is managing the budget, making sure that we're in compliance, all of those things, they're not secondary, but they're not they're not what's going to make it possible to make choices together. You know, we don't get this training growing up. And, and I don't think education historically has done a good job of providing that kind of education. When I came out to Bothell, you know, prior to that, I was the associate VP for organizational excellence. But when I came out here, people were eager to, to do anything to reduce the stress of just doing everything all the time on a on a cage. So I brought um, out uh, a res- some resources to do to for people to learn how to do lean and process improvement and process mapping and project management and all the kind of tools that help with organizational excellence and reduce the stress of not ever seeing anything visual. Like we're we're using a lot of Kanban boards and so. As much as I'm now kind of pure administration, um, the tools that we've tried to put in place that people really are enjoying because they can see that they're solving the problems rather than somebody else imposing things on them um, is making a difference in the culture. You know, I want to do more of that. And um, I brought out rather than uh, a training position, uh, when we came, when we did our new budget model, um, I instituted a three-year organization development specialist person help them through the transition of figuring out where efficiencies needed to be. And that's one of the best decisions I think that we could have made. She's really been able to establish trust and relationships and we're working through um, how difficult it is to figure out who to enroll, when to enroll uh, for new students and transfers, but also about students getting into majors and then graduate students. There's all different processes and they weren't linked together. Um, and people are seeing a bigger picture rather than just the little thing that's on their desk or within their unit. One of the problems that we need to really think about and figure out, especially if you're internally trying to produce change, is how am I going to get my voice heard at the level where those who are making decisions, the vice presidents and the chancellors and presidents, and even your boards, that this work is important. I think it's changing, but I think it's still true, Ruth, that the domain of organizational change, change management, process improvement is seen as a nice to have versus a necessary way that we're going to produce this change. How are you seeing this trajectory of this becoming more relevant uh, to senior teams? So much has to do with senior leadership, right? And And how they value this kind of work. Yeah. Mostly senior leadership in higher education are faculty members who come out of their discipline. And so they, too, have not necessarily been trained in how to run an effective organization. Right. And depending on who the leader is, they may be very, very open to that or it doesn't occur to them. And if you don't have a voice there, you've got to take the risk in order to do that. Yeah. That's one of the things that's been interesting about my career because, you know, I'm not a finance person. Right. 
my doctorate's in organization development. And so being the chief uh, planning and administration person is a little bit odd. But I think um, our leader um, understands change management and the need for standardization and process improvement. And so I've certainly had the administrative background, but really I come to all of this work from a how do we make it better perspective. So I've been lucky to be able to use those skills and have that voice in this situation. And, and you have also brought, and this is the other area where uh, uh, the frustration other schools and universities might have, is that you brought 30 years of not just academic and practical background, but actually proven success. And that's a critical piece to be able to be taken seriously? Well, people have to lean in. And I I see a lot of times people being worried about what's going to happen to them if they lean in and try to have an opinion. And I'm like, lean in and get something done because that's what's going to build your credibility. Well, you just said something interesting that I'm going to talk about in our pre-conference workshop is emotional resiliency. I'm curious when you hear that term, what do you think of when you, when you think of emotional resiliency? Well, I think it's understanding self, for one, and then figuring out how to work with whatever feelings you have about it or opinions you have about it, and then figuring out a way to have a pathway to get done what needs to get done. Now, sometimes it's about um, sucking it up and going with what you're asked to do, but other times it's hearing it and then figuring out the best way to maneuver yourself for the organization's benefit to get the best result. And so you've got to have courage. I love what the first thing you said was about the awareness. You know, one of the, one of the things I've been exploring personally in my work and my growth is what is, what is real behavior change look like, right? All of us have habits that we have inherited. Some of the habits are good habits. Some of the habits are bad habits, right? So for example, if something, if a change happens and your reaction is, oh my God, how is this going to ha- affect me negatively, right? That's a habit. Some of us are, are, are wired, have learned to wire ourselves that a change could open something possible that's positive. Right. So one of the things that I'm discovering that's so critical is that people need to be willing to step back from recognizing an opinion, not as a truth, but an opportunity to explore with others, to be able to give and receive positive negative assessments. And a big one that I've been exploring that we're going to talk about and, and really look at, the domain of moods, the moods that you find yourself in that either open or close possibilities. So for example, you and I both know there are people in our cultures who are resigned to what's possible. I actually think the culture pushes us towards resignation, but nobody wants to talk about it, right? So if I, if I went around a room and say, what are the moods you're, you're in these days? Very often it's like things are fine or I'm concerned, but very often in the background is, a sense of skepticism or resignation. And if you begin to explore that more more fully, you begin to realize if we can't turn those around, all of the actions that come after that are going to be for naught. You cannot produce something in a mood of resignation. Well, and leadership matters tremendously, right? So if the leader shows up with a feeling resigned to something or skeptical of something, and that spreads throughout the entire organization, that's going to be harmful. Because I always think about how I show up. I mean, you know, 
there's times when obviously I know that there's some bad stuff going on, but when I meet with the staff, I try to both be as honest as I can, not spin anything, share what I can, but, but do put, a, and this is what we're going to do about it. So a positive, we're in this together. You know, you're doing great work. Uh, yeah, the budget's tight, but we're going to make it together. We're not, we're not in harm's way right now. So looking for those ways to help articulate that um, it's a team and we're going to do it okay. There's you as a leader, but there's also your capacity as a leader to be able to allow people to be candid about where they are and it's not good or bad. Yeah. People need to find permission to be able to say, you know what, I am resigned and then they can move forward. I've discovered that when people connect with what's really going on, then they can begin the process of being different. But until then, they're hiding away because they're afraid of showing that they might not be with the program. So organizations are hard, right? Because they're so big and they're so hierarchical. Uh, so one of the things that I'm doing in my organization here is um, a quarterly give and take. started out being a listening session, but really people didn't want to uh, just talk to me. They wanted to hear from me. So we changed the title to give and take. So I give a bunch of information and then we open it up and I take in information. Nice. And that's ended up being much more conversational and people have been much more willing to say their piece after I've talked a little bit about. And what do you think that's doing for the organization? That's interesting. Oh, well, and it's, I do it at different places in the organization so that I can be uh, where people are rather than where I am. And so different people show up at different times. And I think what it does is it makes them feel like they're getting information that they wouldn't get any other way. And that I'm open to their opinions about how things maybe should change or what I should be paying attention to. In the end, when they walk away, I would imagine what they walk away thinking is, uh, Ruth is somebody we can increasingly trust because she's willing to share with us things that maybe in the past there was no explicit really intention to share these with everybody. Yeah, that's my hope anyway. You know, you're, we're always trying and trying different things. And um, it's, it's just hard when you've got so much work to do. The time to build relationships is, I, I would rather be doing talking to people all the time. Okay, I, I'd like some advice now. Can you give me some advice? Sure. Right. More and more people around me are coming with this mood of overwhelm. And I've been exploring this, you know. So one way I've been thinking about this is, uh, and I've been practicing this myself, a certain kind of meditation, right? Taking some time to 10 minutes, whatever. There's some micro practices you can do, breathing, closing your eyes, and, and those really can help. What are some ways that you're helping people or even yourself to deal with overwhelm? Well, I feel overwhelmed also. I mean, fairly new in the job and my portfolio is very, very large. So, you know, the work-life balance, uh, I say that to everyone, I don't want them working extra, but of course I'm not the best role model <laughs> when it comes down to that. You're but, emailing at like uh, midnight. There's an email that you're responding to. At no, it's more like seven in the morning. I'm an early bird. I'm not All late. Right. All right. Seven, that's not bad, Ruth. That's seven. People get up at five. <laughs> the midnight emails and texts that are a nightmare. No, I don't do that because I, I need sleep. So sleep is important. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that I do that um, for myself is I do as much walking as I possibly can. I'm one of those Fitbit people who try to get the five miles in every day. But I've tended to, especially when the weather is good, I do walking meetings 
there's something about walking side to side rather than looking at each other across a room uh, that opens up the conversation a whole lot more. So let's, yeah, this is really interesting, Ruth, because I, I think this is an outlier. You know, someone, if, if I'm the chief business officer and I got a meeting with one of my directors, they're going to come into my office. We're going to sit down at the conference table. It's such a habit, right? I love your idea of let, let's get up and let's just have this conversation walking. What do you find the benefit has been? I want people to hear this. Well, there's something about not having to look eye to eye that actually is a positive. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, when you're in a car with your significant other, uh, somehow you can talk about things that aren't, you know, eye contact is not always what you totally need. Uh, sometimes you can be, you can riff a little bit more in your mind if you're engaging your body and talking at the same time. That's interesting. And it's also a relationship builder in a way that's not quite as formal when you're walking. And it's good for you. So what I've found is that uh, because everybody know, and we're located off campus, so we have to walk back and forth all the time, that people see me with my backpack walking back and forth. They'll stop and talk to me. You know, it's, it's a way to be a little bit more visible. Now, does that deal with overwhelm? The walking does. Talking to everybody all the time. In some ways, I think that helps because then they can connect in ways that they wouldn't be able to otherwise. We don't have a water cooler that we can all stand around. It literally is about making movement. I love it. I love it. I think this is the name of the podcast, you know, the, 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 walk, the walk the talk. <laughs> yeah. We'll figure something out. But I really love what you're saying here, Ruth, uh, as, as a practice. I'm going to encourage this to people. Now mm-hmm. that you mentioned this. Any other suggestions? This is, you're on a roll. You're one for one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I use my email as an inbox. So that means that I may, rather than letting it just accumulate way, way, way big, if something isn't closed out, it stays in my inbox till it's closed. And that helps me tremendously to make sure that the work continues to move. Um, I, I use a lot of those tools. I'll flag something if I need to, that I know is going to take a particularly long time. Yeah, people know know me as a nag a little bit because I want to make sure that the work keeps going because if we can actually come to closure on behalf of our customers, then they're going to feel like we're doing the work for them. They'll build the trust. They'll come back to us. And so that interaction gets better rather than adversarial at times. So. Let's pretend like we're walking for a minute, okay? Yeah. What are you excited about looking out in the future? Well, personally, we're going on a cruise at the end of June. So I'm looking forward to that. And I always have something to look forward to personally with my husband and my kids and the family in general, whoever the dog. Um, <laughs> so that part drives me. But in terms of work, we are going in our uh, third year of our uh, modified responsibility centered management model. And we're going to look at year three is about rebasing and looking at what we've done well and what we haven't done well. And so I'm kind of looking forward to engaging with the deans and the other unit heads to, to come up with a better approach. We've done pretty darn well, but we have some tweaks to be made. And I think with a new vice chancellor for academic affairs and uh, that person as a partner, uh, um, that should be really good. We're just going to build our executive team, which helps to build the relationships across. So going into year four, um, you know, I've learned so much every single year. We're going to be doing some building projects, which I don't have a lot of experience with. And that's going to be kind of hard, but interesting. Always a pleasure talking with you and being with you. So thank you for being on the show again. Uh, everybody uh, check out the Wakubo annual conference. We're going we're gonna to post Ruth the, uh, the, the link so people can see what the program looks like. 
and, and anything that you'd like to have shared uh, from what you're doing at Bothell, we'll have some links uh, so people can check out your work. Excellent. And people are welcome to contact me if they need to know anything more. Always happy to share. That's great. Well, listen, have a great rest of your day and have an excellent walk at some point. I will be doing that. Thank you. Thank you.